Hello and welcome to the Dustin and Eric Podcast Show, brought to you by Mimosa Networks. Hi, I'm Dustin. And I'm Eric. And today we're on episode number 10, talking to an actual wisp from start to finish. Today, our special guest joining us is Gino Villarini from Aeronet in Puerto Rico. Welcome to the show. Right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm the owner and the founder, CEO of Aeronet Wireless Broadband in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I've uh, been in business for 17 years. Uh, born and raised in San Juan. Uh, I was raised into, uh, let's say, uh, uh, into the industry, more or less, uh, in the telecom. My father used to own a two-way radio company and then moved on to paging. So uh, I just basically grew uh, within the entrepreneurial and uh, telecom spirit, uh, to say the least. Awesome. So we'll go on and uh, we'll catch up with Eric and myself. So Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, weekend? Oh, it was, it was exciting. Actually, I was uh, a bit out, out, uh, kind of under the weather the last couple of days. I was, uh, last four days, I just stayed at home. Anyway, I've been uh, at home watching The Love Connection, the new one. So you get a couple of guys out there and a girl, and they try, they answer questions. They go out on a date, and they see if they make a match, you know, or not. So I've been watching that. <clears throat> I was thinking about applying for that show, <laughs> but I don't think my uh, wife would probably go for that. <laughs> yeah, That's think... my big weekend. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I've got a little How about you? sore throat here myself. Oh, really? How uh, sore? Super sore. The doctor is in. Super. That could be serious. Where is that in the tent down here? Yeah, somewhere in here. Yeah. That's uh, from my professional opinion. That's uh, you better get that checked out. Thank you, Doctor Thompson. You're welcome. Thank you. No charge. So, <laughs> uh, this weekend I went to uh, Saratoga, California. Uh, didn't know that they had a car show going on, so we nice. uh, um, checked out some of the fancy cars that people had over there and went to the Hokone Gardens again and did some amateur photography. So uh, moving right. on here. And now it's time for the interrogation room where we answer submitted questions from the audience. All right. Oh, number one, uh, should I replace my LMR coax jumpers and how often? Well, Eric, you want to, you have your opinion on this? Oh, replace my jumpers. Uh, I wouldn't have those inspected. You know, when we go outside, we, we uh, inspect uh, inspect the quality of the, the jumper, the ends, make sure there's uh, the seal still around with the uh, with uh, uh, self-vulcanizing tape, the coax seal, all that stuff. And uh, you can actually pull those off and look inside, make sure there's no moisture or no moisture or water ingress in the connectors. And so off and so on. Um, I would, you know, good coax jumpers last for uh, several years, as far as I've I've seen out in the field. Um, but uh, so I don't I don't know when we would. I think if you if you see some issues on the coax, maybe then you you would uh, replace them, especially if there's you know moisture or any any uh, dissimilar metals or cheap connectors that will show signs of rust or or any uh, uh, shavings or, and, and so on on the right. connector. Gino, do you have any trouble with moisture in your your coax? Um, probably. Uh, well, being in, in Puerto Rico, it's pretty tropical. We get a lot of rain, so uh, even now and then you get some some moisture inside of those. Uh, uh, probably do. Uh, I would say to improper uh, uh, taping of, of the connectors or, or weatherproofing. Right. Um, I would like to add, if you're in a co-located tower, it's is is. I would recommend to inspect those cables every now and then just to see maybe sometimes uh, other crews working on the tower might nick the, 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 the cover of the cable and water will come, will come through that nick. So just do some general inspection when, when you're there, just doing some work, uh, inspect those, those coax cables just to make sure in the future when you don't get trouble with, with uh, water coming into it. Right. Yep. Yep. Also, if you've got loose connectors, uh, there's a big one, uh, loose connector. Yeah. You could have some uh, some Intermod or some other uh, RF products or IF uh, could mix uh, with co-locator radios and stuff, causing mm -hmm. interference, et cetera, et cetera, on, for the, the other person or the other company uh, into your other radios, et cetera. So we want to make sure the connectors are all tight. All right. So uh, Number two, uh, no, matter how tight I, no matter how tight I make my antenna, the wind keeps moving it. What do mm. I do to prevent this? Well, there's a a couple you, of different options. You mean you we, we're we're talking about the mount? Yeah, uh, you're talking. About, evidently, you're talking about the mount. So you can always, uh, with larger dishes, put a 
a bar on the dish connecting to the tower to better support it. Uh, you can also, some antenna mounts, you can actually flip the bracket uh, around for smaller di oh, yeah. diameter pipe, depending on what the diameter is you're actually mounting to. The clamshell right. reverse one side. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so what are your thoughts on this, Eric? Yeah, uh, that, that goes with uh, going up the tower or you're on a rooftop, just making sure uh, everything's uh, tightened down. Uh, well, sometimes if we see a, dif uh, a difference in uh, signal quality, say, at an access point into the, uh, the client uh, field, uh, go in there and maybe make slight adjustments. Maybe the uh, maybe take a sector, for example, maybe it did move a little bit. And so maybe you want to re-peak something. Or from the client side, you want to re-peak a little bit in case something moved around. Some of these uh, antennas, you know, present a little uh, a wind load uh, on the wind side of things and, uh, you know, can move out of alignments. So how, how windy does it get there in Puerto Rico? Probably pretty windy, right? Well, we just had a hurricane last year, so <laughs> we right. had over 175 miles per hour wind, so... Uh, we did have a fair share of dealing with, you know, with stuff blowing out of towers, getting misaligned or disaligned by wind. So, uh, not knowing exactly the the type of equipment the the users or the, the person asking the question was referring to, I will say that with big dishes, you definitely need to uh, add some stiff arms to it just to secure. Uh, we we usually did one and learned the hard way, and now we're doing two oh, okay. towers. So uh, anything uh, above two feet in, in, in dish size, we just do two, two arms to the tower on different points. Um, on the customer side, that's a little bit more uh, difficult, uh, but it can be done if you're using two foot dishes on customer side. And uh, with sectors, uh, I, will, I, I don't have any idea how to you know, add a, a stiff arm to a sector. We haven't done that, uh, but sectors not tend to move. you having a sector moving when wind, Maybe it has to do with the bracket or something, I will say. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, number three, what are some of the additional mounting options for a client radio besides on the roof? Well, hmm. what do you think, Eric? Client radio. What are some of the additional mounting options? So the poles in the, in the yard, if you have to, on the soffit. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of different options here. Eric, uh, where are some of the places you've had to mount uh, radios? Uh, we've done a, uh, yeah, under under roof eaves, uh, invert, invert a 19-inch uh, J-mounts, uh, maybe a uh, even a weighted-down non-pen mount on the ground. Um, as long as uh, and when you're going from the ground shooting up to AP, an AP, you just got to make sure, you know, you got the line of sight and such. What about your special install in Carmel Valley? Special, uh, which, which one was that? has to do with chickens oh <laughs> there you go hit hit there's a yeah so we had a, a house and i needed to put a, a mimosa c5 radio on, the, on somewhere in the house and the houses had obstructions 360 from oak oak trees all the way around so i was looking at a large uh, tree i was going to invert them out on a tree branch upside down and, and push that in and i thought ah. uh, and then we looked for an alternate spot and that was on a chicken coop uh so at uh, about 280 feet, uh, 280 foot run of uh, Cat 6 uh, direct burial, uh, we, I, I put one on a chicken coop and, and named it at the AP. It was just fine. And so far, the, the chickens are uh, leaving the, uh, leaving the uh, Cat 6 alone. Well, the chickens have Wi-Fi, so they have no reason to mess with They're happy. That. Those are some happy chickens. <laughs> so, Gino, what's the, uh, the most interesting client install that you've had? Well, um, it's been a long time since I, have, I haven't done any installs, but uh, I will say that um, maybe on a palm tree. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, uh, with business, you got to get very creative sometimes That's just to right. have that, that clean line of sight. Now, how, uh, how, oh, I'm sorry, how high up on yeah. the palm tree? Because depending on the height of the tree, it has some sway, right? Yeah, yeah. I will say like halfway through it. Yeah. <laughs> far as I can remember. But Which yeah, 40 feet? <laughs> Maybe like 30, 30 35, wow. something like that. Yeah. Got to do what it takes, Eric. Yep. Got to get that service to those people. Nice. <laughs> you got it. Especially on the beach. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, number four. 
uh, where are the best places to place my micropops? It really depends on the neighborhood. It depends on uh, who owns the light poles or the, uh, the utility poles. It, it really depends. Uh, personally, I think getting mm -hmm. on the utility poles out the road would be better because you've got, yeah. or you should normally have line of sight up and down the street. And then those homes normally have at least somewhat line of sight to those poles. And if you place them, you know, two or 300 meters down the street on those poles, then those houses will always have or should have line of sight to at least one of the poles you put your micro pops on. Um, Gino, do you do uh, micro or mini pops in uh, Puerto Rico? Yeah, we, we've done a couple of them. And uh, I will say that for us, more in the business side of the of the whole uh, micropop deal is that uh, you need a place that you're going to be sure that that place is going to be with you for a long time. So we tend to prefer uh, uh, poles uh, instead of houses because maybe down the road you, you get some issues with the house owner and then you have to change your whole net. You know, so it's right. better to have a long term solution, uh, a long term relationship with whatever entity it is that owns the the poles. So you sure that five years, ten years down the road, that pole, that AP is still there on that pole. You don't have to go around the whole network and realign the, those customers. Okay, excellent. Uh, number five. What is your next podcast series going to be about? So our next podcast series will be about. Uh, actually installation best practices. So for those people out there who are beginners or even intermediate folks who have questions about uh, installing on towers or on roofs or or whatever, grounding, uh, cabling, uh, that's what the next show will be about. So we'll, we'll definitely spend a lot of time talking about those topics. All right. Uh, six, does Mimosa have any new products coming soon? I can't talk to you about that. Why are you asking me? <laughs> but you should Shut come up. to Wispa Palooza this year. Yeah. You might find something out. Skunkworks. Yeah. Mimosa Skunkworks. <laughs> da, 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 da. All right. So we're going to go ahead and start on today's main course. Uh, we're going to grill Gino here for some info about his network and how he cool. started. So we'll go ahead and uh, get started here. You said you've been doing this work for about 17 years now. Yeah. So. Why, why did you become a WISP exactly? When or why? 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 That's a fairly uh, great question. And uh, basically, uh, 20 years ago, I was on a different industry. I, ha I, was, uh, I had a, like a small chain of, of cellular retail stores. We were reselling AT&T and other carriage networks, phones and stuff like that. And... Uh, by that time, I got married, moved to a new house, and the place that I moved didn't have any sort of broadband connection. And broadband back then was like 256K right. uh, or 512. That was it <laughs> through uh, DSL. It was very limited, the, 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 the footprint of the coverage of broadband connection. So I started researching a way to put a broadband connection into my business, which had a connection, and send it to the area that I lived. So basically, it was just a need to to have a fast internet at my home. So I started doing some research and back then the, there were no mimosas, no cambiums, no, uh, no, not even canopy was available back then. Just most of the, the starting with was just hacking their own equipment, putting uh, ra uh, Wi-Fi cards together with Mother 5 software, mm -hmm. uh, doing jumpers and doing their own CPEs with even, even POE was very scarce. So, uh, it was very interesting to just uh, with you know we 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 to start to to research this, and you know I had my a little bit of of, of telecom background, so for me wireless technology was 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 not new. Uh, so I I I, uh, I decided on some some equipment back then. It was uh, I started testing the the symbol, which sold Wi-Fi cards for scanners and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I kind of uh, jerry-rigged that into a point-to-point -point link uh, and uh, contacted a, a neighbor nearby that had a small house on the hill, uh, pay him 100 bucks a month, uh, install a small tower, and, and shoot a point-to-point -point link to, uh, to my office. And uh, as soon as I, I had service on my house, then my neighbor wanted service, and the <laughs> other neighbor wanted service. And then the, my neighbor had a small business down the road, and he wanted service, so just kind of blew from there. Yeah, it just kind of balloons out once you start. Yeah, 
Yep. So uh, how many employees did you start with uh, on the WISP side of the business, and how many do you have now? I started with zero. It wasn't myself. <laughs> so uh, for, for let's, let's, a couple of first two, 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 first two years, I was all by myself. Uh, first year was like part-time. I was you know, doing this. I had my other business and, and doing this part-time. Uh, by one year in, I decided to sell my other business and, and go full in on, on this one. And I would say by the third year, I was able to bring some help part-time. And then that became full-time and even bring my brought my dad to work with me. Huh. And uh, 17 years later, we have about 53 employees, I believe, 54. Oh boy. So how many of those are installers? Okay. Uh, I would say about, uh, about 10 to 12. Okay. And uh, yeah. do your installer crews work... Uh, in twos, or do they work by themselves? How do you how do you run those crews? Great question. That's uh, something that we discuss every three months. <laughs> well, I know it's a, it's a common uh, discussion out there. So yeah, the efficiency of, of having dual single or dual crews. Um, we uh, we have settled on on having uh, like three to four techs that like very experienced ones go alone at it. And then having two crews that they're uh, they're paired, and we usually the hard jobs or the difficult ones that are more the ones that take more time or are like on very high roofs or commercial buildings, we give it to the two man crews. Okay. And then the the single ones we we uh, do services and uh, 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 less difficult stuff. You have some uh, a couple of tower guys, or is it kind of? Yes, we have a full time tower crew uh, right now. They're they're four for tower climbers oh, okay. on that crew. Yeah, apart for the 12 technicians that go and do installs and services. What what, what are your, uh, maybe your taller towers? How, how, how tall are those about? Um, I would say like 250 feet. Oh, wow, up there. Well, yeah. I bet those are really guide down for, uh, down on the island. Uh, that, right? Actually, that's a self-support, <laughs> a, big self-support. Crown ca- a big crown castle self-support tower, yeah. Crown okay. castle, okay. Yeah. All right. So, what were your biggest challenges when starting out? At first, I will say that the industry was not consolidated or was not ready, maybe uh, for lack of a better word. Uh, and it was like making my own CPEs back then. So basically, the wild, wild west of wireless. Yes. <laughs> uh, then uh, uh, I started like testing every equipment that came out uh, uh, back then. Back then. The first company that I remember came out with a full-featured integrated CPE that you just had to run POA to it was a company called Raylink. Uh, they use they used to you know they, they don't have six but uh, they use frequency graphic technology. Back then, you know, all integrated CPE with antenna, everything was kind of a, the, the bomb, let's say. So I, I I deployed some of their stuff, and then other companies came out with some equipment, and then the, even I continued doing you know hacking equipment for, for, for part of my network. And uh, eventually, uh, uh, Motorola came out with Canopy. Uh, even though it was more expensive equipment, uh, I decided just to to move into the to Canopy network just to have a, a, a similar experience of, of control the network and, and standardizing something. Mm-hmm. All right. So The uh, other part I will say, just to add up to that, is, is uh, uh, funding of financial uh, stuff. Back then, you know, it was pretty expensive. CPEs were four to six hundred dollars, um, and and APs were in the two to three. Well, APs still in the same range, but the CPEs were pretty expensive. Even if you did it your own or buying CPEs from manufacturers, so uh, the funding part was to uh, some some sort of a was one of the challenges too. Right. So, uh, did you have people that helped uh, invest in your company for this, or did? This come out of your pocket, or did you have to get loans, or how did you start deploying all this product and, and making your money back? About a year in, uh, I uh, I brought in a, a let's say a, a capital investor mm-hmm. uh, that uh, it was my my father in law, so it was pretty easy to sell it to him. Right, <laughs> you put a lot of trust into this new internet thing, and uh, we we uh, struck a deal, and he became we became partners in, in this part. And uh, I 
manage the whole thing and he just provided the capital to grow the company for the next two years he provided cap ongoing capital and from then on the company was able to fund itself excellent we're going to start here on uh, questions that relate to the shows that we've done so far so, okay. so the first show was evaluating an area before deployment so what do you look for when evaluating an area for potential deployments uh, right now uh, we just uh, go about uh, customer needs and uh, by that I mean that uh, since we're mostly a business ISP, we, uh, I will say like 80% of our customer base is businesses. Um, uh, we expand our network based on the needs of our customers. If we sign up a customer that have, let's say, like 20 retail locations and we provide, we have coverage in 18 retail locations, when then we add uh, our network, we grow our network to, to provide service to those two other locations that are out of coverage area. Right. So basically it's, it's more uh, uh, driven by the, customer demand. Um, uh, since we've been 17 years in the business, we have a fairly large network that covers most of, of the island. So right now, uh, if, instead of growing the network, we're just uh, densifying it. Uh, I more towers within the coverage area just to add more density and more uh, capacity to it. So, so you, co you cover uh, much of the island. Are there, uh, how about competition uh, or are there uh, ISPs? Yeah, this, the, the, the Puerto Rico market is pretty fierce. Uh, oh. I will say before the hurricane, I counted over 100 WISP oh. market. Uh, a lot of them were regional uh, and small that they covered just one or two uh, municipalities or counties. But uh, I will say that right now there are about five or six that cover the whole island or most of it. And like maybe... 10 or 15 that are fairly big regionalized white wires ISPs. And then the whole other bunch of them that are very small to just cover, you know, certain sectors or areas. So you, you it's a pretty, pretty fierce market. Wow. And you mentioned uh, the hurricane. Was that Katrina, right? No? No. Which no, one no, was uh, it? Maria. Oh, sorry. Last Ma year. Maria. Yeah. Um, did, did you have, uh, how much of your infrastructure uh, remained up? Or you have, hmm. and say, backup powers? Backup power after supplies, the, generation. After the hurricane, I will say that uh, like 15, 10 to 50 percent of the network was up. Did you see uh, folks from uh, global support coming in, uh, you know, say United States, for example, and others come in and provide uh, additional, say, WISP or backup services, uh, communications during that? Uh, there were some efforts uh, spearheaded by FEMA on the Obviously, uh, some some private companies came in and uh, to help out, uh, mostly in the reconstruction and, and to provide some sort of telecom services. Um, we had some uh, people uh, actually Google Loon sent out a couple of their balloon things to yeah. provide service and oh, cell service mostly. Oh, orbiting um, uh, Google orbiting uh, balloons uh, mesh system. Yeah, yeah, they provided cell service in in some areas, and uh, we yeah we have some sort of. People coming from the states do some sort of yeah. small regional network just to provide uh, uh, Wi-Fi services to certain very disconnected areas. Okay, very good. So, uh, do you own any towers, or do you just rent those? Uh, we own, uh, but mostly are rented. We are uh, at over 150 towers right now. I will say, like 10 of those are are our property. The rest we we rented on them. Um, one of the, the factors that I'd say that we rent those towers is that since we have so many WISP here in Puerto Rico, you know, noise is a big problem. Right. And by going to a big carry class tower, uh, we tend to uh, be alone at it at that tower. So we minimize noise. We're paying a lot more rent on the tower, but we're minimizing noise in the neighborhood. Okay. Do you look, are you looking at, buying or owning more towers in the future or are you going to stick with the model you have now uh not really uh you know the tower business here is pretty crowded we, we've got crown castle sba american tower and um you know and and the permitting process here is pretty brutal so okay yeah we, we don't want to lose our fo focus in the wisp just to do some tower stuff uh, how, how's the uh, the spectrum look 
in, in your areas. Oh, man. <laughs> and where, where are you mostly at? You're on uh, the backhaul's mostly on, say, five a gig or where are you No, at? we, we, our, our backhaul is mostly uh, licensed, oh, okay. uh, I would say 611 gig. And we leave it five gig just for, for access. And even then, you know, it's like noise, average noise floor is minus 70, uh, oh. minus 60 sometimes. Holy cow. Yeah, so it's pretty brutal. Your your links brutal. are pretty short then. Yeah, yeah. Our network, <laughs> right. especially in the in the San Juan metro area, you know, our our coverage rings. We just do like one mile stuff like that, just to be able to go over the noise. So because of that spectrum, does it determine how you deploy your point to multi point networks? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. besides the the one mile radius. Uh, do you have any spectrum available there that we don't hear, or is it about the same? No, it's the same. Just Puerto Rico, our, our you know political situations is to for, to sum it up. We just just like a state, we don't get to vote for the president. So basically, that's it. All right. <laughs> same rules. <laughs> so our, our second show was about finding a backbone provider. So can you tell us uh, about your backbone provider or providers? Where do you get your internet from? Uh, we we currently have three providers, and uh, being on an island is very uh, very different from being in the States. Uh, we have about seven cables that come into Puerto Rico. Most of them come from South Florida. Just, I think just one cable comes from uh, New York City. So, uh, you know, when choosing cables, we have to take that into account. You know, which cable are we using? Is the upstream provider using the same cables? Because if that cable gets cut, then we're right. out. So uh, some, some providers have uh, rings that go through Puerto Rico and down to the other islands, but back again to South Florida. Others don't. So that's that becomes part of the equation. Uh, you can translate that in the States to, you know, having your, your backbone coming from different routes, east, west, or stuff like that. So uh, um, I would say price is, you know, price is king, making a decision on, on bandwidth. But uh, secondary to us is just where is that bandwidth coming from? Uh, it, for us, you know, the, the cables coming into the island, uh, but in the same case for provider in the States, the, they need to choose different routes that come from different uh, points. You know, uh, fibers get cut on one end. Uh, yeah. you, you don't want to be out. You're right. So you're coming in down from the supply from the Keys or from uh, the Atlantic down New York. So is there a, there's a ring also coming up from, uh, let's see, uh, top of Venezuela through Aruba kind of and then over the... Uh, the Virgin Islands, yeah, that, et cetera. That, ca a, that cable, yeah, that cable is owned by uh, Liberty Media right now. Uh, it's called the Arcos cable, and basically Arcos. just island island hopping from the yeah. states goes to Dominican no, go to first to the Bahamas, then the Dominican Republic, and then goes around and uh, goes to the small islands on the yeah. east. Haiti. Goes to Venezuela. I don't know if it lands on Venezuela. I'm not sure, but. It goes around Aruba, that area goes back to Mexico and goes back to the United okay. States. Yep. Interesting. When it comes to SLA agreements and your providers, uh, what kind of agreements do they provide? Uh, and is that important to you and your network? Yeah, well, I will say uh, definitely um, we uh, try to bring that into the equation when we negotiate with the streams provider. Um, the SLA is basically what you got on your hands to to... Uh, make a claim to your upstream provider when they're having any issues. Mm -hmm. So you know, uh, nailing nailing that down is pretty important to uh, to your operation. Right, and they're hopefully they're pretty reliable, right? The the ones that you have. Yeah, we we had to have uh, big issues with our providers. Uh, some sometimes cables get cut in the ocean. Right. Um, not a whole lot you can do about that. Not a whole lot you can do about that. So that's the reason we we have three providers. Okay, how long does it take to say say you get a main main feed cut like that? It, it, you have to cut over, switch over. How how long does that take to switch over something like that? For your uh, provider, we usually or, use the three providers at the same time. Oh, um, okay, They're with both... BGP. So, but if one gets cut off, uh, traffic is, takes a couple of milliseconds just to switch Except over to, to route. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, the users probably won't really see that at all. Okay, not really. No. Unless they're on a VoIP call, maybe. Right, maybe a voice <laughs> call. Right. Freeze up the screen. All right, so the, the third show is about physical network planning and design. So 
What services or softwares do you use to plan out your network, or do you use any of that? To plan the wireless side of the network? Right. So, like, towercoverage.com okay. or the Mimosa Design Tool, you know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, we use ra ra Radio Mobile. Uh, pretty old-school software. Right. <laughs> So uh, we we, kind of, we started using that. We kind of stick to that. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Tower and it's ven vendor agnostic, and uh, we just we just use it. Yeah, I've heard yeah. a lot of people that use Radio Mobile. Actually, uh, they built tower coverage off of Radio Mobile. So uh, I know tons of people out there use it, or at least some offshoot of it. Right. Right. It's very a very uh, very good software, and a very very expensive. Uh, it's free. It's not expensive. So I'm sorry. It's free and it had a lot of options and tricks and knobs that you can, you know, cool. play with. So uh, it's I'll, very, have to, very, I'll have to very check that nice. out again. It takes a little bit of a uh, learning curve, but right. nothing, nothing too bad. So before you start deploying in an area, do you do any kind of site surveys on the area you want to cover? Uh, yeah, yeah. We uh, usually, uh, if we're going on a tower, we, we go to a tower, take pictures, uh, do a site survey. Uh, we'll do a spectrum scan too. Just make sure the spectrum is it's not clean. It's not a big clean here in Puerto Rico, but it's it's at least acceptable. <laughs> right. Uh, so, how often are trees an issue for you? Uh, they're they're pretty often uh, an issue. Uh, to say uh, that the only advantage we have here is that we're not the island is not flat, so we have a lot of mountains that we have our towers into the mountain. And then you, we can overcome the trees with, with an angle coming from the mountain. Right. So, so what frequencies do you deploy for point to multipoint besides 5 gig? Uh, we're mostly 5 gig, but we have some cases that we use 2.4 for non-line of sight mm -hmm. uh, when there's no other uh, option. And also 900 megahertz. Okay. And so the next show was internal networking. So what vendor or vendors do you use for your routers, your switches, your firewalls? Uh, well, we started uh, a long time ago with Microtech. Uh, I will say that our first router was a PC with a T1 card and a floppy disk loaded with Microtech. All right. <laughs> it Thanks, was like Dad. You know, 17 years ago. Your your yeah your father probably helped with that uh, T one part of it. Huh? It was a ver it was a uh, uh, <laughs> version two point something of Microtech, um, and uh, Microtech helped us a lot uh, growing our network. Then we uh, but we outgrew it uh, and we moved on to uh, Juniper. So now we are our network. We we do uh, where we do a BGP for the outbound routes and then in and. Inside our network runs OSPF, and uh, and on top of OSPF, we run MPLS and BPLS, and we use Juniper for that. Okay, yeah, Juniper is really good, but also very expensive. So it's uh... yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, there's some great market stuff that you can get a good pricing on. So you know, it's just you need need to look uh, uh, need to know where to look. Right. So I know a lot of folks out there use Microtik. So at what point did you decide you needed to switch from Microtik to Juniper? It was like, uh, let's say like five years ago uh, when the, we started moving from, you know, services that were 20, 25, 50 megs into services that were 100, 200, 500, one gig services uh, where we, 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 we saw some issues with Microtik. Uh, handling those, those kinds of bandwidth right. you know, or upstreams right now are 10 gig connections and we got customers that range uh, you know in the gigs so uh, we started seeing some issues with Microtech uh, we were running uh, MPLS and VPLS with Microtech and we started seeing some issues in that on the network so we decided to look for alternatives okay so does your network run on VLANs uh, do you use subnets or do you use a little bit of both on your network uh, everything. Okay. <laughs> we use uh, our, uh, you know the the main backbone runs like I say MPLS and VPLS, and then we branch out uh, and use uh, VLANs uh, into some towers uh, and into the APs and this, and even we use VLANs to some subscri subscribers that uh, have different sort of services with us. Uh, we sell uh, dedicated internet service. We sell broadband internet. We sell uh, WAN services or, or let's say. Uh, 
point-to-point private connections. So depending on the type of a service that the customer requires, then we use a different set of uh, tools for it. Okay. And tools, you run anything like uh, SmokePink, iPerf? For troubleshooting, uh, uh, yeah. Well, put- for we we monitor our network with a network a software called uh, Intermapper, which is uh, basically a monitoring uh, software that you add your devices to and uses SNMP and ICMP and all those protocols to monitor the condition of the devices in the network and take it from there. Okay. So the next show was talking about building your infrastructure. So. What type of uh, Ethernet cabling do you use normally? Uh, for installs? Uh, for tower installs or for home installs? Yeah, we, we use basically two cables. We use uh, a uh, outdoor Cat5 cable for pretty much uh, all the installs. And uh, for towers, we used to use a, uh, without mentioning any brands, uh, we used to use a, let's say a a medium quality outdoor tower cable. It was shielded, Uh, but in a hurricane, we learned a pretty nice lesson. Um, With all the winds, uh, the cable started to move in towers, even though you you, you attach to a tower, you know, with with 150 miles winds, that the cable start to move. And with that moving, uh, the cable started to get nicks. Right, oh, yeah. and with the nicks, the water came in. Ooh. So we had a lot of tower sites that, the basically just tons of tons of water came down the cables oh, into the into the shelter. Interesting. So yeah, so now we just uh, are we, 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 we all the equipment that we replaced during the hurricane. We use a new cable that is double uh, double shielded. It has a, like a copper core. It's very uh, oh, no. high end cable, very expensive one. But we learn a lesson uh, with. with with the hurricane event. So uh, everything that was new was installed with that cable and anything that's left with the old cable is being replaced now on the right. towers. So I could, I could see. So on a, on a tower, yeah, yeah, you, you have sharp bolts, nuts, yep, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, welds that aren't perfect or really right. sharp slag, whatever. And uh, I, that's a good point. I think, I think we'll, uh, we'll look at that kind of stuff uh, on our side too. Good, good point. Yeah. Um, and, and we do, and we look at stress points. But of course, we don't get any wind over here, uh, oh, you know, over uh, whatever fifty miles an hour, or sixty maybe. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a very good point. We look at uh, when we look at stress points on coax yeah. and on uh, feed points uh, to radios, and uh, and our cat uh, runs as well. But uh, good good information there. Yeah, we we, hit, we had a pretty nice run. We 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 had like sixteen years. We are hurricane, so the, my whole business lifetime, wow. we we just didn't have any event like this one. So it was like a, a wake up call and a time to revise uh, procedures and, and, and discover things like this. And on the, on the flip side, now I work up and I worked up uh, for telecom up in the uh, Arctic, right on the Arctic ocean uh, at the top wow. of the planet uh, outside of Barrow and, and way up to, in Alaska. Right. And so on the flip side of hurricane, we had ice, Right. right, a little snow here and there, but it was all ice, and so the ice loads because you know the temperature would. You get some snow, and then you get it melts a little bit. Then you get these mm-hmm. big icicles, and just wind just loads. It's kind of the same same thing where you just have to look at where you're going to load up, uh, what's going to move. You know, coax, copper, fiber, everything's got to be you know nice, and and you we, I guess through our teams, we just made sure everybody paid attention on uh, installs, et cetera. And uh, you always had a second pair of eyes looking at things. And I, I guess so wherever you're at uh, around the world, you kind of got to look at your your own uh, installations and mm-hmm. you know, make sure everything's uh, tight. You know, Every environment has its challenges. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yep. So uh, how often do you ground and what do you ground? Everything or just uh, some items? Well, uh, yes, we try to ground... Uh, uh, on our towers, uh, everything, uh, you know, it's, it's also that has been sort of, uh, uh, not, 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 we, not, not new, but, uh, our, our company started using a uh, more oil canopy equipment. Mm-hmm. And if you remember the old canopy, it just was a plastic case. Right. The benefit of that is that it minimized any sort of, uh, you know, problems with lightning. So we, on the old days, we just ran the cable from the uh, from the equipment down to the shelter, 
call it a day and we didn't have any issues with the, the radio was isolated from everything. But nowadays, you know, that's yeah. it's different. Uh, so uh, we kind of uh, a couple of years ago started a program to ground all the all the infrastructure. We mostly do uh, we do up in the tower, uh, ground it to a bus bar and then run the cable down to the ground. Sometimes we have to check if the tower is pretty fairly grounded right. and then if not at our own ground to the tower. Uh, we, we got copper uh, issues, you know, uh, thieves taking out tower oh, yeah. uh, copper from the tower. So yeah. sometimes we have to revise and see if that the ground is still there. Uh, so it's, it's a challenge. But uh, yeah, we try to ground everything. Boy, those, those copper thieves are everywhere. <laughs> yeah, sadly. North America, South America, Central yeah. America, and the we got, we got issues with <laughs> copper and with batteries, too. They steal the batteries. Oh, yep, yep, sure. So what about at client installs on businesses or, or residences? Do you ground there as well? Uh, if they are in a very high uh, building, we do. Uh, but uh, mostly we, we don't. Okay. We, we, go, we put a search arrestor and... Yeah. Uh, on, on the on the cat five coming in uh, that that's it and we 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 haven't had a lot of issues with that all right so you mentioned people stealing batteries so you do battery backups yeah. at your tower sites yeah uh the power here in the island is not reliable the power company have been having some financial issues for the last five years so you know maintenance is not at its best so that tends to translate into problems, power problems. So yes, we, uh, we, we have battery backup on every site. And on some sites even have uh, batteries and generators, depending, okay. you know, depending on the load and the, obviously the size of the, the size of the site, we have a lot of equipment in there. We add a, a standby generator and also depending on the, let's say the, the importance of the, that tower. If a tower that feeds other towers or have very high end customers, it's basically a equation of, of business and, and yeah, services you, being provided. You have, you have fluctuations in coming from the, the uh, commercial mains, you know, main AC power coming in. Mm -hmm. I guess you guys are probably, I don't know, 50, 50 hertz or so uh, out there. But uh, there's nasty spikes and fluctuations uh, in that stuff. So running into a battery bank or something, depending on your 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 wiring, that'll smooth some of that out. And, yeah, and that, that helps a lot at us. We, we moved from, uh, uh, we... All our sites were like AC and had an AC UPS yeah. and external batteries and that UPS to extend the runtime. But we have AC issues and we started moving from an AC plant to a DC plant. Yeah, so get a, rectifiers get a, and, and battery banks and then get, get some feeding everything from the rectifier. So it's, it helped a lot in cleaning out you know, issues with it. Clean out, to get some uh, smooth sine wave in there. And yep. the equipment certainly happy and stays within uh, tolerances. And, mm -hmm. and stuff. That's right. Yeah, it helped a lot. Yeah. So because of the, the big hurricane you guys had last year, have you started moving towards solar uh, or have you were you already using solar power before? We were using solar on a small scale. Uh, I would say we had some sites that were uh, didn't make any business sense to they, they didn't have power from the power company and didn't make any sense to contract and build out the power mm -hmm. to feed the site. So we we went to solar on those sites. But that expanded uh, after hurricane. You know, uh, there's some. There's still today. There's some areas without power in the island. So, uh, for us to, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'll oh, go ahead. So, being able to reestablish service for us became, you know, rebuilding the network and also uh, looking for power strategies. Uh, and that meant either adding uh, solar panels to the sites or just run the sites on generators. How about uh, wind wind uh, power? Is that too expensive uh, to run some turbines? Is it is yeah it not reliable? We looked into it. Uh, actually, I'm going to be frank. I never tried it. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I hear. I, yep, yep. I hear you. Uh, yeah, I do know that there's some like uh, big wind farms that lost oh. the the. Oh, they came down. They, 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 yeah, they lost everything on the oh boy on the wind farms. Yep. yep. All right, so uh, show number six, we talked about building and customer management. So what kind of tier plans do you offer? Uh, everything. <laughs> so starting Basically, yeah, we started uh, at speeds, uh, 15 megs, this is the smallest plan we offer. Okay. And, wow. and that goes up to uh, gigs. 
Just, ten depend, gig. just depends on business or residence, or do you offer that to both? Uh, well, the strategy that we do is that we don't offer uh, services to, we don't have residential plans. Okay. Uh, that And the reason for that is that the market, you, you know, there's the WISP here in Puerto Rico, and then you have the local telco and the local cable company are also very competitive. So we don't we don't want to get into a marketing and sales uh, war with the big companies. So we don't we don't target this the residential market. We do offer a small business plan that if the customer wants to put it in his house, then we we don't have any issues. So basically, our our, our billing our plans are uh, designed for small businesses. Uh, so they're a little bit higher on the price side, but uh, there are a lot of customers that are very uh, disgruntled with their the current provider, and they just want, they they pay more just to have a better experience, better service. Mm -hmm. Wow, fifty megs for a start. That's that's uh, very no, no. respectable. Is no, sorry, fifteen. One five. Oh, one five. Excuse yeah, me. that's that's the smallest oh, one. But yeah, we do decent. offer fifteen, uh, twenty, twenty-five, and fifty. Oh, that's okay. like the basic uh, broadband plans that we offer. So how do you do your traffic shaping on your network? Uh, we use a two-year approach. We do it at the CPE, and also we have a traffic management uh, appliance at the core network. Okay. Can you elaborate on your appliance? Give a, a brand yeah, name? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, you know, I didn't know I can mention no, that. No, that's fine. <laughs> sure. Yeah, okay. Uh, we use Procera. Uh, okay. we, we were using Procera for the you know, last, let's say, uh, Four to five years. Before that, we were using Microtech, you know, right. uh, to do the bandwidth shaping. Uh, yeah. Then we moved into Procera. Procera seems to be a pretty common one these days. Uh, yep. Uh, but sadly, they got bought by Sunvine and then kind of lost their magic. I will say mm. they now are more expensive and services yeah. to the small businesses like the West Market are like not that good as they were before. So possibly we're going to look into other alternatives in the near future. So does uh, Procera do billing for your customers as well or just traffic shaping? No, just traffic shaping. Uh, we, uh, for billing, we used to use uh, Platypus, right. which is like very old school ISP <laughs> billing software. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to, uh, last year we moved to Sonar. Okay. We're in the process. So we migrated to the billing to Sonar and I'm in the process of also moving our ticketing system into it. Okay, yeah, Sonar was actually on that that episode of the show, so. Okay, cool, well, yeah. kudos for them. <laughs> and uh, for technical support, do you do in-house support? Do you have guys there that do that, or do you uh, send that out to a third-party service? No, we have in-house. Uh, basically, we, we have about uh, staff of, uh, I would say, like uh, 14 to 16 tech support uh, employees and we do it in-house do they handle everything or just wisp stuff mm, do you guys you do, do you guys do more than uh, just wisp work now since you said that your business before did uh other telco work or is it just wisp uh, work now well on the business side business side i'm sorry um we uh we provide you know internet service through our wisp uh network Mm -hmm. We also have a fiber network that we offer services to it and uh, also services that go along with for, for in the, within the portfolio, like voice over IP, um, manage uh, firewall and manage Wi-Fi services, that kind of stuff. Right. So those 16 handle all of that. And oh, yeah. Yeah. They handle everything. Okay. Yeah. And so the next show, uh, Marketing to Your Customers, uh, you said you don't really do marketing or marketing wars like that. So do you market to businesses right. at all, or is it just basically yes. word of mouth? No, no, we do market. Uh, uh, I'm uh, fairly a uh, big believer in marketing. Uh, so, you know, marketing is the lifeblood of your, your company. Uh, so, uh, yes, we do uh, market to companies. Uh, we do market to, you know, this, the broad range of, uh, of the market, like small, medium, and large businesses. And each segment have different different tactics to market it. Right. Um, for the small businesses, we do a lot of uh, uh, social media marketing, especially Facebook. Right. And, uh, and then when you go higher in the business size, uh, 
medium and large business and different tactics for more like email marketing and uh, uh, meetings, conferences and stuff like that. Okay. And uh, for installing new customers, how often do you communicate with a new customer during the setup process? Uh, lots. Okay. Uh, our process, uh, the customer, if the customer calls in, we uh, provide them with the information of our services. Uh, if he wants to sign up, then we send him a uh, online digital form that he fills out and then he receives uh, our service agreement uh, through email. He can sign it digitally and send us a back. And then um, our customer service representative or sales representative will call him to just go over the, the document to make sure that everything is, is within what he ordered. Uh, and then uh, it goes to uh, to the installer department. So uh, installer manager will call the customer to set up uh, and schedule the installation appointment. And after everything is installed, then the, the customer is called the day after the install just to make sure everything went smooth. If you have any problems or any questions with the service, and uh, I'll say that's it. Yeah, and then yeah. So after your last call with them, right after it's done, do you follow up with them a few weeks or a few months later to see if they're still happy, or do you wait for them to call in? No, after that call, I'll say that we, we're we're done with okay. you know proactively calling the customer. Then it become it, it converts into a customer calls off if he has any problem. But we have discussed uh, to do a follow-up later on within the uh, the term of the agreement right. of the customer. Okay. And uh, when when your guys are out normally installing radios on a customer home, where do they try to install? On the peak of the roof, the soffit, or what do they aim for when they go out? Uh, usually the roof. Um, here in Puerto Rico, uh, the structures of the... Uh, the houses are, are flat roof, okay. uh, so we don't have we don't have deal peaks and stuff like that. Um, so we usually go and appoint a roof that provides the clean line of sight. Okay, good. Uh, and then the the last show we did was troubleshooting and maintenance. So uh, you talked a little bit earlier about uh, a system you have in place that kind of looks at your network and it does. Uh, SM, SNMP and it does right. graphing like uh, power levels and stuff like that on your radios, yep. and that was Procera, or was that no? Something that's else? Uh, Intermapper. Intermapper, right? Yeah. So, uh, how much does that cost you, or is that a free uh, service? No, it's not free. Okay. Sadly, I, know, I, wish. <laughs> I know there's plenty of free softwares out there that do yeah, yeah. similar uh, things. They're, so they're playing of free software. The thing is that we started with Intermapper. It kind of grew it so big that right now it's like it's going to be a project just to move out of it. Okay. Uh, so they they got us locked in. <laughs> um, but uh, they they license the software by the amount of devices that you have in your network. Uh, so we, we currently are monitoring over three thousand devices. Okay. So it becomes a little bit expensive for us. Right. But uh, for other uh, other smaller ISPs, I, I would think that the value of it is pretty straightforward. Right. The good thing about the software is that it has all most of the um, wireless equipment probes built in. So you don't have to deal with the specific SNMP and, and do any sort of a custom thing. You just, you know, add the IP and the IP of the device and the, that, the type of device that you want to monitor, and it, it will take it from there. So so with uh, inter, Intermapper, you're using Intermapper mm -hmm. at about... Uh, I'm sorry, three about three thousand uh, customers w using Intermapper. So if you go to six thousand, Intermapper will grow. It, it you can uh, it, it'll handle that many. Yeah, uh, clients, yeah. I, et I, I don't, it's, it's okay. I don't think that I, I don't think that the software has any growing issues. Uh, okay. We we have used it for a long time and, and have never had any issues with you know managing that amount of devices. Uh, we, we we do not monitor every client on it. Yeah. So, you know, even yeah. though we're monitoring 3,000 devices, that's not the whole, our whole net, our, uh, network of customers. But uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't think that's going to be an issue growing on it. There you go. Okay. So when you have a customer site or a tower site go down, what's the first thing that you check? Hmm, good question. 
Uh, first thing we do is we go into this monitoring software and see what happened. We check if the, let's say the power went out. We check if the signals of the backhoe was, were fading. Um, so that will give us like a little bit of information to see if it's maybe the outage is power related or the outage is related to equipment or it's really with, with even in routing, uh, you know, right. or is maybe some weather uh, related as maybe a lightning storm passing by and the tower went out with, well, that maybe uh lightning hit the tower or nearby or something went out. So, you know, we, we, we try to pull information from this software uh, and other sources that we use like weather maps and stuff like that, just mm-hmm. to have a clearer picture of maybe what happened. And right. then we dispatch crews and see, see, uh, what, what kind of damage was was, was done? Or, or you you could ping you can still ping the radio, let's say, uh, but it's something in the uh, maybe something on the, uh, in the in the cloud there, or or the uh, in the inter intermapper itself. There's a little yeah we, we reset we, or you know right sometimes. you know uh, sometimes you know we we use uh, some remote management switches that if the backhaul is up we can remotely review the equipment from from our facilities yeah. so so that. Uh, it's it's going to be a, one of the steps. But if the back hole is down and we cannot reach anything on the tower, yeah. then we just have to go there and bring up some information to try to uh, evaluate what happened. Yeah. Yep. So, how often do you perform routine maintenance at your tower sites? Uh, well, uh, that's a fairly uh, good question because uh, before the hurricane was thing, after hurricane was another. <laughs> Right. Um, we, 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 after here, can we spend a lot of time rebuilding our network? Um, you know, out of our, we have 150 towers and about maybe 60 rooftops. So our, our whole, whole network is about 200 plus sites. And we basically had to redo everything after hurricane. Uh, so it took, uh, it took us about four to five months just to rebuild everything back to what it was before the hurricane. Uh, so that process still uh, we tweak. It's being tweaked right now. You know, even though the network is up, there's some things that we did just to uh, put the service back on, and then we have to go back and do the stuff like we're supposed to do it. Right, yeah, you got to catch uh, up with everything. Like, again. like temporary stuff that we had to do just to bring out service. Uh, after you know, before the hurricane, uh, the plan uh, that was in place was uh, to visit our sites at least twice a year just to check. You know. Everything. Uh, okay. Check, check uh, cabling. Check the batteries. Check the equipment. Clean some stuff. You know, do a, a, a overall visit and, and check everything. And then we touched. And then we. I think we touched on it earlier a little bit. How about uh, like saltwater issues? Antennas, integrated stuff. CP. Um, CPs. Uh, radios, coaxes. Not RJ really. RJ forty five connectors. I will say that I don't know if it, you know, it's, it's normal for us. It's normal just to, after four or five years, if the customer or the tower is near the, the, the beach or, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the everything that is metal is going to be cor- yeah. cor- uh, it's going to be corrosive. So uh, we have to uh, uh, change it. It's something that you, we, you, you live with. Monthly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for us, it's routine, kind of a routine you know, routinely. Yeah. Do you put any kind of special coating or anything on your your radio mounts or anything to help keep those from uh, rusting or corroding? Uh, we try to use uh, uh, galvanized steel and stuff that lasts. So usually on the mounts, it's not a problem. Mostly, uh, I would say it's on the brackets that comes with equipment. Right. Yeah. Or like the, a non- the, non-conductive uh, lubes uh, or something, super super lube or something in the. RJ forty five or the Ethernet oh yeah ports, for the RJ forty five like, we use we yeah. use the uh, lube um, yeah. but most of the problems that we see are with the with the brackets that yeah. comes with equipment okay uh, you know manufacturers uh, we don't have any control on the kind of uh, different materials qualities, they use different the qualities of the, metal yeah. or the brackets so um, or the tower mounts uh, there there are no issues mostly uh, the brackets that comes with equipment all right so. Uh... What would you do differently if you could do it all over again? Wow. <laughs> what I would do differently. 
I would standardize as much as I could uh, on, on equipment. When you standardize on, on, on equipment, even though it limits a little bit of your capacities because you're standardized on X or Y vendor, and mostly on, on the multipoint, uh, you lose the ability to, uh, to have a compressive network. Uh, let me see if I can put this forward a little bit better. Um, when you standardize, and that's what we did a couple of years ago with, with, uh, with Motorola Canopy at that time, uh, when it happened about, it was like 15 years ago, it allow us to grow quicker because everything is the same. Uh, yeah. It's the training for the employees is the same. Um, the training for the support staff is the same. You deal with the same equipment and you don't have to deal with different sort of equipment and specialize in different things. So everything ramps up and runs quicker. Okay. Uh, so when we started, we started with testing everything and our network was a patch of different manufacturers. And then we, we decided later on just to remove everything and standardize on, on one vendor. So I'll say that that if I start again now from scratch, uh, I just standardize on one vendor for for the majority of the or all the multipoint network. Well, because we've uh, asked or answered all these other questions, I have one question left for you. So okay. do you have any thermal ducting issues with uh, any of your links around the island? Uh, no. Okay, so you're not really we, shooting over water; you're just staying inland, right? Well, yeah, uh, we have we have sh- uh, shots that go over water, um, but uh, I, I, I kind of thought that your question was really more to thermal ducting within when you have long fields of uh, of uh, inversions of, of, of diversions. Yeah. yeah, we do have shots over water, and we experience some fading on those shots. Okay, yeah, how bad is um, it? Usually they affect the links about, I would say, like 6 to 10 dBs. It's not too bad, then. It's not too bad. Um, it's not too bad. Unless that noise floor is at negative 60s and negative 70s. Well, <laughs> that S&R yeah, those, those, those links that, that go over water are, are licensed. Uh, yeah. They're 6 gig, and we see the fading going in and out. Okay. Yeah. Eric, do you have any more questions? I think, that, I think that's it for me. All right. Well, I guess we're going to... We're done grilling you. Are you wow. are you well done now? <laughs> no, I'm okay. I'm Put okay. A fork. I, can, I can take it. All right. No. So last thing here is our tech tips of the week. Our, our tech tip this week is uh, not waterproofing connectors. It's supposed to be grounding. Uh, the difference between AC ground and earth ground. Eric, do you want to talk a little bit about AC ground versus earth ground? Oh well, earth ground. We're we're uh, maybe have a, a common bonding point, so that we're 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 taking a tower and going that to a an authorized for your for your region, for your for your regulations to earth. Uh, usually by long, uh, you know. I think in the United States, it's it's supposed to be like eight foot ground rods, twelve foot ground mm-hmm. rods, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, AC ground. Um, are are you you mean in uh, co- commercial uh, common Say, uh, just people ground, grounding to the the ground wire that's in an AC outlet or, or oh, something like that. That's kind of a long. That's a very long path. If you're going to go in there and, and you know ground to an AC ground for your house house current ground, that's that's a long path. I think that's more a band aid. We want to we want to ground that stuff on the outside of the dwelling before you know coax in, in comes in. Cat Cat Five and Six comes into the dwelling, uh, telecom shelter, the residential, commercial. You want that's what you want to be on the outside, with the shortest grounds. Um, if if you're relying on something internal and the only thing you have is that screw on the uh, on that 50 or, or 60 hertz uh, ground plate there, uh, I, I think that's more of a, a poor uh, a poor ground. Uh, so and and let me add yeah. to that that you're taking your chances. We've seen some yeah. cases that. Uh, the electricians that fabricated the house, the ground cable that is attached to the receptacle to the AC outlet, yeah, it's not grounded. At all. It's not connected at all. It's just there hanging. <laughs> it's floating. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah you just do, you, you, you can see it, and it's there, the green cable, but it's going nowhere. Hmm. We've we've taken uh, measurements actually, uh, impedance and voltage measurements from soil, uh, from outside. Uh, say, NID uh, or protection boxes or uh, portable backup systems that are outside a shelter. And, and me- you can measure the, 
uh, one part of the phase, you know, the AC voltage phase from the from the soil into a, a ground point. If you've got, you know, we, we've got 110 volts mm -hmm. or so. And yeah, there's potentials and stuff. And sometimes the, it's not there and right, it's 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 floating or, or something hasn't made it all the way. If it's an old place or an old structure or brand new, it may have been improperly uh, grounded or wired, the, the structure, mm -hmm. right? So there's, there's different things, I guess, to, to learn about, to... Uh, we always we check with our you know local regulations and so forth all right is well, that is that what the topic yeah so that's all it right. for this episode uh gino thank you very much for being on the show no thank you guys uh, it's been uh, my pleasure uh if Great you're experience. if you're in puerto rico make sure you use aeronet as your provider yes. and nobody else uh, <laughs> thank you aero net right a-E-R-O-N-E-T. Yeah. All right, I see you. Aaron. Wow, thanks right so much, Gino. So, so this is the end of the uh, How to Start a Wisp uh, series. The next series will be, again, uh, installation best practices. So feel free to uh, send any questions you might have over to podcast at mimosa.co. All right, guys, so uh, we'll catch you next time on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Please hit the subscribe or follow button to stay up to date with our latest podcast which will be available on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud.